Welcome to Committing Faith in Public, a podcast for people who want to be inspired by individuals and communities of faith, working for a more just, kind, and hospitable society. Through the stories our guests tell, we want to encourage you to commit your faith in public, too. I'm Gary Peluso-Verdand, Executive Director of the Center for Religion and Public Life at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Welcome today to Committing Faith in Public. This is the first time in, oh, at least a year that I have not been at home uh, making one of those recordings. I'm actually in the seminary studio. As a fully vaccinated person, I'm glad to be able to use all this great equipment the seminary has purchased. I'm joined today by the Reverend Dr. Lavenhar and Besides Marlon being uh, a community friend of mine and a fellow Chicagoan with Italian heritage, things we share, Marlon's probably best known to those of you listening as being the senior pastor at Tulsa's All Souls Unitarian Church, which is it still, Marlon, the largest congregation in the Unitarian Universalist Association? Certainly one of. Yeah, one one of of the the largest. Uh, Marlon is well-known and respected around Tulsa for for everything that All Souls does, for his social justice work, especially related to issues of race. And through just being Facebook friends with him, I also learned that Marlon's a cartoonist. Uh, He regularly posts cartoons related to current issues on his Facebook feed. And when the Tulsa World previously employed its own political cartoonist, Bruce Plant, um, Plant featured Marlon's cartoon several times, and I think referred to you as as having some considerable talent <laughs> in, in doing. It was actually it was a it was a nice compliment. And today, with Marlon being on, we're talking to him about his cartooning. Welcome, Marlon. I'm so glad you're here. Gary, it's great to be with you today. Yeah, super, super. All right. When did you first begin cartooning? And was there someone or something that provided an inspiration for you to get started? It was my father who who started cartooning at some point in his later years. And I, well, when I was probably 11 years old, my parents were divorced. So I would spend time with my dad. Sometimes Sunday, he'd pick us up from church. He, we'd see him in church and mm-hmm. then we'd go after church to lunch, my brother and my dad. And, and he'd draw little cartoons on the napkins and we would laugh and play games. And eventually my dad showed me how to cartoon and I just sort of grew up around my dad, an amateur cartoonist, mm-hmm. but somebody who took it seriously and taught me the trade. Hmm. So he actually was your teacher, not just an inspiration. Exactly. That's cool. That's cool. And you were about what age? I was 11 years old. Okay. How did this evolve for you? Is this something you've done over time and kind of kept up with? Or is it one of those things that sometimes life gets in the way and you've put it down and picked it back up again? I put it down for a long time, Gary. I've, when I was 11, all the way through my teenage years, I was drawing funny cartoons to make people laugh in class. <laughs> um, every notebook I ever had has cartoons all over the margins. Mm-hmm. And then I cartooned in, in college a little bit and moved to Japan after college for a couple of years. And I had a syndicated cartoon. Well, it wasn't syndicated, but I had a cartoon mm-hmm. in an English language magazine every month. Really? Japan. It was called Gaijin was a, a man's name. And, and that word in Japanese means foreigner. Okay. And so he was a foreigner 
in Japan as I was and teaching English as I was. And he was all the funny things that were happening with him and his <laughs> students would show up in this cartoon or the things that were happening to me would show up in this cartoon. And is this something then again that you've done throughout your your professional ministry or or no, uh, you said you put it down yeah. for a long time? Wonder when, when you picked it back up again. When I was in my early 20s, I stopped. I left Japan. I traveled for a while. I went to seminary. I just stopped doing it. I mean, I would still doodle in the, in the margins of my notebooks once in a while, but really didn't cartoon again until a couple of years ago, really a year and a half ago or so when with the Donald Trump presidency uh -huh. and everything that was happening, the stuff around alternative facts and all of that just got me to look for an outlet, a creative outlet to mm -hmm. try to to express some of my own frustration in a way that that would hopefully connect with other people. I mean, there's a connection that people make with, in, with mm -hmm. cartoons. There's the you want you read a cartoon and and see a cartoon and first you might think if you have especially if you have to think about it and then you discover this aha moment oh mm -hmm. that's clever i see what that person means first you think the cartoonist is clever and then and then a little <laughs> later you go hey i'm pretty clever that i understood that too and then suddenly you have this this connection and you feel like i agree with this person we're in this together we're not i'm not alone in my frustration my anger political anger my moral rage yes yeah so so a shared message of uh, is kind of creates that connection or that bond yeah, you know, message sent. Oh, I, I received it. I received it. Uh, right. right. Uh, very interesting. Um, so do you have particular purpose or purposes that you would say your cartooning serves? Yeah, cartooning has been a tool of social, political and religious commentary for centuries. And my topics are religious hypocrisy, racial and other prejudices, political folly, abuses of power, things like that. And so I, for me, I just, I'm trying to synthesize my moral rage into mm -hmm. some popular form of communication, calling the president or the governor or other powerful people to account mm -hmm. through, through hyperbole and satire and creativity so mm -hmm. that I can question their authority, really question the status quo, draw attention to things like corruption and political violence and various social ills of the society. Mm -hmm. I'm real curious. So how would you say that form, meaning a cartoon, how does that differ in what you're able to communicate than your, your uh, kind of paid for uh, work of sermons? Right. So there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that I can, I think ultimately if I continue to develop this craft and get better at it, I might be able to even touch more people through the cartoons than through my sermons. But it's a form of public discourse. It's adding to the collective imagination and using humor. And in sermons, we use humor, too, to keep people's mm -hmm. attention, mm -hmm. to make them laugh, to diffuse. Usually when people in a sermon, if I can make people laugh, they seem to settle in. It mm -hmm. opens their heart mm -hmm. a little bit. And then I can begin to deliver some more content and i think it's this it's a similar thing with a cartoon if if a cartoon only makes people laugh then it really hasn't done its job or at least a editorial cartoon it's meant to make people laugh but it's also meant to prick their conscience and to get them to think we could also i i studied with harvey cox when i was 
in seminary. Right. Okay. Harvard Divinity School. And he wrote a book you, you may recall called Faithful Fools. Yes. Right. And it's, it's a book where he talks about Jesus, the, the role of Jesus, and he relates it to the role of the court jester right. and the right. trickster in a lot of traditions and even the clown. Right. Right. And the way in which those, those figures in society poked fun at the status quo with the intention of building the popular, stirring popular opinion mm -hmm. in a way that allowed that popular opinion to then force some change, maybe shame those in power mm -hmm. and, and other ways of gathering the public to question certain status forms of authority mm -hmm. and and power. So I, I think that whole realm, how the cartoonists in a way take that role of the court jester who was employed by a king mm -hmm. or a mm -hmm. ruler, mm -hmm. often to mimic and ridicule mm -hmm. that ruler mm -hmm. and that, that regime, both to entertain the court and then entertain the common people, but also to give insights to the that person in power, that ruler, mm -hmm. that they that no one would be able to say to the person's face, but right. through humor, they could say it. And like the trickster in society, the trickster right. often makes makes you laugh or does something unexpected, which then causes us to break out of the mold of thinking mm -hmm. or the common way of thinking and begin to see some new insights. Mm -hmm. I think cartooning has that kind of a quality. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't made that connection before. Yeah, I think Cox, I think he was writing on Feast of Fools. And uh, I remember him talking about that uh, was also the day where the common people could dress up as the bishop or the king and and parody them and get away with it. You know, so it was a way right. it was an inversion of power. But like you said, it also showed them something, showed the those in power something they might not be able to see or or wouldn't have at all been able to receive in any other way. The parody right. on that day, you know, kind of within parameters, right. <laughs> allowed that to happen. So what's your, right. what's, what's your creative process? I'm always interested in people's creative process and how they get things done. What are your normal steps as you move from an inspiration to a finished cartoon? Often I'll get an idea, something that I will make me laugh. It's usually, cartoons are often, they use comparison. You're comparing one thing to another thing. And so I'll get an idea. Sometimes I'll, I'll get on the internet and look for some sources because I don't, I'm not a trained artist, so I can't, mm -hmm. I don't know how to draw a picture of two kids mm -hmm. under a bed, you know, making each other laugh or something like that. So I, I try to look for some images so that I can get a sense of the perspective and get some ideas from that. And then I start mm -hmm. drawing. I used to do it with, I started with paper and pencil and watercolors and stuff like mm, that. Mm. And, but one day, a little over a year ago, I was reading for a cartoonist said that he started using an iPad pro to do his cartooning and he could do everything on the iPad pro that he could do on all his fancy computer equipment. Wow. And that more comic writers and other, I mean, those who, who draw comic books mm -hmm. and other things are using an iPad pro mm in many cases now, so that they could take it wherever they want to be. They could sit wherever they want to be. They don't have to be stuck behind their computer doing that graphic work, mm -hmm. animators and other things. So I said, well, I'm going to, I could pick up an iPad Pro and I want to try that with an iPencil. Mm -hmm. And so I got a program. It took, there was a pretty big learning curve to learn the software. But once I did, 
Oh, it made such a difference because when I, I had to commit with watercolors, I had to commit, mm. am I going to make this yellow, green, mm. blue? And once I did, I, there was no going back mm. or a marker. Mm -hmm. But with the iPad Pro, I go, ah, oh, it's too light. I want to make it darker. I want to do this, change the color. That's not the right color. And so it's really improved the quality of my cartooning mm -hmm. greatly. Mm -hmm. And what about for the idea itself? So you have an idea. Or, or is it some is it something perhaps I mean you, you seem to be a lot of your cartoons seem to be very responses to something in the news recently some a commentary on that but so you get, right. get you, something pricks your conscience something gives you an idea and then then you go to the do you go right to your iPad Pro or do you start sketching out somewhere do you do you start writing down right. words I mean what do you do then yeah. yeah I start with the words so I have I have a collection in my it's actually in my phone and I can access it from my computer, but of all kinds of cartoon ideas. So when it comes to me, I write it down and then I start playing with the language. I start honing the words and start imagining how do I make, who are the characters? Mm -hmm. How do I make this funny? I mean, one of the simplest, some of the simplest ones are the, are, are the funniest ones at times. One I did right after the second impeachment mm. when Trump was let off and he would, there was this idea, Hey, two, two impeachments, no convictions. Mm -hmm. And so then I thought, oh, no convictions. Mm -hmm. Here's a man mm -hmm. with no convictions. <laughs> right. And I thought, what a great play on words. Mm -hmm. So then I think, okay, I just wrote down no convictions. When I had a chance to start drawing, I just drew a kind of a goofy childlike picture of Trump. And I just had him saying, you know, I have no convictions. And mm -hmm. he's all proud of himself. Mm -hmm. And of mm -hmm. course, uh, that was, that's the kind of, that gives you a sense of how it went from the idea to the cartoon and, and how it compares these two things, the convictions of an impeachment and the convictions of a leader. Mm -hmm. And the man has none mm -hmm. of, of either, apparently. So in this in this very highly polarized society, and I know I know the All Souls congregation generally has not more than generally, I mean, has a very progressive reputation, but I, I would know you know, I would suspect that not everybody's entirely on basically sitting in one pew when it comes to things in the political world. Um, what kinds of responses have you gotten to your cartoons? What's the range of responses? I, I will I will acknowledge that it is a little off off that I'm when I do the political, the partisan political cartoons. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a lot of my members love it because they share my same political biases. Mm -hmm. But I have I have Republicans, conservatives, libertarians and others in my congregation. And and so I do not post those political ones on the church. Right. Not on the church. Right. Facebook page or a church website or anything like that. So I do create some distance. But online, I have gotten criticized to say, well, your personal page versus the church page. People don't really make that distinction. And mm -hmm. so I have caught some grief from from folks for being so political. And so I, I do try to lean a little more into the soci sociological mm -hmm. and the religious themes. Mm -hmm. I did one early on about God. It was God, the old white God bearded mm -hmm. God up in the mm -hmm. sky. Mm -hmm. And I had three three different people praying to God. And so God's in the middle of the cartoon. And then I've got one one person is catching a football. Mm -hmm. praying, Thank you, God, for you know answering mm -hmm. my prayers. And the other one is is in a car trying to find a parking space. And God, can you please? I need I need a parking space. And God is saying, you know, you're welcome to the one with the football. And 
okay to the one who wants a parking space. And then the third one is is people running from a mass shooter Mm -hmm. saying, don't God, please don't. And God's saying, sorry, I can't help you because obviously some of those people got gunned down. God apparently didn't answer those prayers. And just the to try to point out the folly of some of our ideas about how God might or might not answer our prayers. Those common aphorisms, you know, well, I'm so glad God spared me or, or everything happens for a reason and other sorts of things right. like that. Right. That you, right. it gives you another right. another way of talking publicly about those things. Right. And, and you know, cartooning helps to create a kind of healthy skepticism, if you will. Mm. It, it, it raises things. And I think and skepticism is a really key component of liberty and democracy. Right. Fundamentalism, authoritarianism, fascism, they demand total loyalty. Right. There is no questioning of that kind of of leadership, of that kind of faith. And so prejudice as well is born of is born of ignorance and often blind spots. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes through humor and through these cartoons, we could point out something that might might shine a light on somebody's blind spot and say, oh, you know, I never really considered it that way before. Mm-hmm. And so in, the, in that way, this sort of creating a, using skepticism, using the humor to try to prick people's conscience mm-hmm. is, a, is a, I think an important part of democracy, important part of a, a faithful religious life mm-hmm. uh, and liberalism in general, because democracy requires a kind of vigilance that people who are politically engaged like yourself, and, and I like to think of myself that way, we, mm-hmm. we might read political theorists and commentary and editorials. Most people don't. Right. And so sometimes the political cartoon mm-hmm. or the editorial mm-hmm. cartoon can get a message across and build a conversation among people who are in the political realm or any of these realms, religious, mm-hmm. prejudice, other things mm-hmm. that uh, would not otherwise be discussed. Yeah. Are there, as you review your body of work, your own body of work, are there particular ethical, theological uh, principles that tend to show up frequently? I mean, it's the, the general idea is, is really to push, push people to think more deeply about things that have become so routine that we don't think about them anymore. Mm-hmm. And so... I have one that I did early on. I want to redraw it now that I've I've gotten a little better with my drawing. Mm-hmm. But it was one with Jesus. It's a brown skinned Jesus. Mm-hmm. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. It's a white skinned Jesus. And the 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 title of the cartoon or the caption of the cartoon is when 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 you realize that you're the only white person in the Bible. <laughs> and, and it has all the people surrounding Jesus, all the people, and yeah. they're all brown. They're all Middle Eastern. Yeah. And so they're all brown skin and they're all going, you know, I wonder what kind of conditioner, touching this, I wonder what kind of conditioner he uses. And he's got the cherubs flying above him and they're saying, we need, we need some sunscreen. He needs some sunscreen, you know, and all this stuff that you just realize how ridiculous is it right. to imagine this fair skin, red, blonde haired person in the Middle East yeah. back then, he must have stood out like a like a sore thumb, right? right. So in, in our theologically and educated terms. So that's bringing a little historical critical method to right. <laughs> to popular right. conceptions of Jesus, fair skinned Jesus dancing on the flowered slopes in Galilee. Right. 
Yeah. Right. And I often think of us preachers as we're the popularizers. We take we take theology that we study and that we study in seminary and we try to make it so that the person sitting in the pews living their life out there every day who doesn't read all kinds of philosophy, they don't read Barth and all these other uh, theologies, the- theologians that but we try to distill their message into mm-hmm. a way that makes sense for them mm-hmm. in their everyday life. Mm-hmm. And in a way, cartooning is is that in a in a different form. Absolutely. Hey, before we got on the recorded part of the podcast, you were starting to talk about something I'd love for you to talk about now, which is which is the project you're doing with the Black Wall Street Times and cartooning leading up to the May 31st and um, uh, 100th anniversary of the race massacre in Tulsa. Yeah, it's a great project. Uh, Nehemiah Frank, who runs the Black Wall Street Times, he's just doing a, a phenomenal job. He's had mm-hmm. over a million viewers in the past month, and I think even more wow. now as it gets yeah. closer to the to, to the anniversary of the worst day in Tulsa's history, one of the worst days in American history, when there was the massacre in 1921 here in Tulsa. So he, uh, we're working together. I'm putting together 31 cartoons for the whole month of May from May 1st all the way through May 31st on the theme of the race massacre, reparations, reconciliation, and these kinds of things. And so I'm taking different things that, again, someone might not read a whole book about the history of what happened, mm-hmm. but in these 31 images, and we'll put, I'll put a paragraph or two with each one mm-hmm. that, that will give a little bit of the history behind what the image shows. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's a way to hopefully teach people some things that they don't see. So an example that I mentioned to you earlier was I have one, we see black men particularly, but black people being marched hands up through the streets of Tulsa at gunpoint, Mm -hmm. white men with with rifles, marching them through the streets of Tulsa, taking them to detention centers. What we don't have any pictures of, but is any of the World War I veterans, the black World War I veterans Mm -hmm. who were in those crowds mm-hmm. and were part of this and with their hands up. And so I have this image, I can draw a picture of it though, in, in a cartoon, that's the beauty of it. And so I have this picture of a World War I veteran walking in the, and the and African-American man next to him and an African-American man who's holding his child and they're marching through the streets. We also don't think about the role of, chi- you know, how children mm-hmm. were impacted by mm-hmm. a number of cartoons about that, but they're marching through the streets. And the one black man looks at the veteran. He says, now remind me again, why you fought for America. Mm-hmm. And the veterans is saying, well, freedom from tyranny, I thought. Mm-hmm. And of course behind them, they're being marched through the streets at gunpoint in their own country, in their own town. So again, these cartoons are not the kind typically that make mm-hmm. you laugh, but mm-hmm. they are the ones that make you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing all those and those will all be on the, on the times website. Right. The black wall street times, times. they have a website and, and blog posts that they do every day. Very good. Throughout the month of May. Yeah. Hey Marlon, if people would like to take a look at your body of work that you've done thus far, is there a place online they can go to find it? Yeah. The best place would be my Instagram and on Instagram, my my name uh, is Marlin Cartoons. So if you if you search under Marlin Cartoons, you'll see 116 cartoons that that I've posted up there on all whole range of topics from politics to society to to all kinds of different things. Everything you know, Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got cartoons about different holidays and different ones. Uh, a lot of political some 
some local as well, mm-hmm. Tulsa, um, Tulsa police and the mayor and some things like that. But the coronavirus obviously has been a big thing. The pandemic is you see a lot in there, the Trump presidency. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. are those are some of the key things. But Governor Stitt uh, takes some grief from some in some of my cartoons, as does the mayor of Tulsa uh, for various things along the way. Right. Right. Very much so. You're, the range of what you work with is in some ways reminds me of Doug Marlette. I was a huge fan of Marlette, both in his political cartooning as well as the Reverend Will Be Done and uh, with Kudzu. And I think right. you, you have a similar range. And so I do very much enjoy your work. Putting my name in the same sentence with, with Marlette is, uh, is a great honor. I'll, I'll just tell you my favorite Kudzu cartoon. I think it fits Good. with our conversation if there's a minute. It, he was he was in a drive-in at, at like Mick, Mick Church, uh-huh. right? Instead of McDonald's, uh-huh. a drive-through. A drive-through and a person is is asking for a special order. Uh-huh. They wanted, you know, this and that and the other. It, but relig- in religious terms, he says, he says, oh, you don't want you don't want McChurch, you want a Unitarian King down the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't do special. He goes, we don't do special orders. Okay, so my favorite is, and I still have this on my on my door, right outside my office. It's um, the Reverend will be done. He's in the pulpit. He takes a bottle of aspirin, puts it on one side, and a glass of water on the other side, and and he says, "People, I'm going to make you do something really difficult today. Think." <laughs> <laughs> which is, I think, what you do and what all good preaching does. Uh, Marlon, it's a delight to have you on today. Thanks so much for being on Committing Faith in Public, which you do both in terms of your regular ministry as well as in your very enjoyable, thought-provoking work in cartooning. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you, Gary. I love what you do. I appreciate you. Thanks. Bye. This has been Committing Faith in Public a podcast from the Center for Religion and Public Life at Phillips Theological Seminary. Copyright Phillips Theological Seminary and Gary Peluso Verdan. The views and opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect official positions of Phillips Theological Seminary.